0: back everybody this is your first time checking into the homesteads and homeschools podcast welcome aboard it's good to have you here if you're coming back oh, thanks for thanks for checking in again oh, today today is episode number 68 which means you can find the show notes at homesteads and slash 068 go there check them out some good good fun links in there for you guys to uh, to check out so i guess today uh I can't tell where, I, I don't recall where I came across them. I think I was searching for something online and I came across their website and said, hey, they seem like fun people. But uh, I got in touch with them and, and they're on today to talk about a little bit of permaculture, some uh, foraging, because everybody loves to forage. And if you don't forage, you, you need to you need to go do that. Go forage. Go learn about foraging. It's a sort of thing. I'm trying to set up a little uh, intro to mushrooming kind of course on the Discord um, get some of that information out there because it's really not nearly as scary uh, as as one may think, to put it that way. So if you uh, if you want to support the show, you do that by leaving a rating on iTunes, leave a review, share it around on your social media, uh, or uh, even go on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie. And you can uh, sign up for some some bonus content, some stickers, some merchandise, all sorts of fun things over there. You can uh, go to homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon and click through on that affiliate link when you're going to Amazon to buy all your goodies. And uh, I'll get a little little kickback there. And that's uh, always always helpful. Always helpful. That's, that's all for now. Um, we're going to get into this thing. So let's go plant those Liberty seeds with my guest, Mr. Aaron Von Frank from Tyrant Farms. So my guest today is uh mr Aaron von Frank he's here I, don't know, I saw him online they do some him and his, his wife do some foraging and and some planting and gardening and all sorts of fun stuff and uh I figured I have him on to to talk about that a little bit and um share some of those experiences so Aaron thank you for for coming on i, I appreciate it sure you
1: gotta mention you gotta mention ducks in the intro. Yes. and like after-
0: Look <laughs> we'll And he is a a duck enthusiast. Um, and, and we will talk about ducks for yeah. a little bit, at least. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't know a lot about ducks. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll learn. You can.
1: Yeah, no worries. Yeah, we uh we self describe as duck evangelists. We're big we're big on ducks. so yeah. we we love the critters. We're very <laughs> good. Uh, we we use them for uh, mostly for egg production and and also for entertainment because they make really good pets and they're kind of hilarious creatures. But anyway, huh? um, don't want to get derailed from.
0: Hey, all, all it's all, all all good, all in there. Um, when did you guys get ducks?
1: Uh, it's been uh, I think like we're at eight, seven, to eight years now. So, and they can live to be like you know, I think the oldest one in captivity lived to be almost twenty. But you know, they can typically uh, a a duck in a you know non wild environment it can live to be up to like thirteen, fourteen years old.
0: Okay, it's yeah, that's, that's twenty years. That's just like. It's almost too long for me. It's almost too long for me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um you so how long have you and your wife been been doing uh Tyrant Tyrant Farms, right?
1: Yeah, so just the the name just for kind of some context um is Tyrant Farm um and my, my wife's a little she's a little bossy so her nickname uh became the Tyrant years ago. And so uh we started off with kind of a a garden like just a typical garden in the backyard sort of thing and then um it just grew and grew and grew and grew and so we have about a half acre and the whole thing's basically a giant organic edible landscape now so we kind of jokingly named it tyrant farms and um so yeah so that's that's how that that's how the name came about um and we've been doing we started blogging uh i think 20 it might have been like around 2010 was probably or 2011 somewhere in that, in that time frame. yeah just like anything else you, you, we didn't know what we were doing we didn't have a plan for it we were just kind of yeah, this will be fun let's you know write some articles or whatever um, and then actually, it sort of became because we're we're also kind of digital marketing. Um, that's sort of our our profession. And uh, but that wasn't we didn't you know, have a business plan or start off with uh, Tyrant Farms. Just even thinking of it as a business just kind of a fun side thing to kind of document stuff we were doing. Um, and now it's actually kind of grown into a, a business, and we're much more purposeful about what we do with it and you know the the content we create on it and whatnot. So
0: what I'm kind of curious about that then, like how long did that process take before you started to kind of really kind of plan things out more or had had more of an idea like okay, this is something that um we can monetize or utilize or, or turn into something more than just like a a little hobby on the side
1: yeah, so it sort of uh I guess it sort of became a purposeful business three years ago uh somewhere in that time frame and that that was largely just you know we were we were doing stuff for clients and uh and the traffic on the site started doing well and so we were thinking about it well this is interesting let's you know let's kind of monetize what we're doing here because we just had like google you know google ads plugged in it wasn't really doing anything and then um once you kind of cross thresholds of traffic uh you can start doing a lot more stuff as far as monetizing what you're doing so like once you cross like 30,000 uh, uh people per month uh, then you we had access to a thing called Mediavine, which is a big ad network, um, and so they—they they basically are uh, a pool of various kind of blogs, um, and they—they—they they, they go out and they find the advertisers, and they have like, gotcha. a really great platform. Um, so it really helps. And so, like this month, I think, back you know, ironically, the uh, pandemic's actually in a sense good for so you know, sort of a counter uh, cyclical sector that we're in being kind of gardening and foraging and all this kind of stuff so the more the weirder things get out there the more people want to learn about you know oh maybe i should start growing some in food or you know foraging or raising ducks or whatever it happens to be um so i think last month we did we had like i don't know like 170,000 somewhere somewhere that uh, people on the site um which is good for our site like yeah. you know as far as the traffic that's really good um now, on the flip side of that, what's happening too is so traffic up, and then the RPMs, which is basically how much you get paid um, per you know per, per person on your site, is down obviously because advertisers like you know pulling and slashing uh, marketing budgets and whatnot. So like you know looking back at like you know previous years or previous months RPMs and being like you know if we were making that now with this traffic, you know we'd be uh, we'd be like you know jumping up and down, but you know it's kind of one of those things where we're, we're we're just we're just thrilled, like you know, it's, it's so tough out there right now. We're just thrilled just to be able to actually generate passive income online, uh, yeah, through, our, through websites. And the same thing with with our other website, GrowAttorney dot com, um, which is a certified organic seed company right now. But we're actually transitioning out of the seed business and uh, going straight to education, kind of based on that. And that's more about like organic no till gardening and um stuff like that. So,
0: yeah, that's it's a uh... It is wild. It's wild how, I mean, the number of people that I've, I've talked to recently that are just like, just starting to to put something in the ground or just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, what should I put in a container or, you know, what, what kind of, I don't really want to till up my whole lawn. Like, what do I do? That kind of stuff. It's just, it's, it's really impressive. Um, how, did you guys, did you grow up with like a, a background in farming gardening any anything like that or was this something that you and your wife kind of came about later and, and gave it a go and stuck with it yeah
1: uh well personally um I'll, I'll talk about my wife in a second but i grew up um in sort of like the wild areas of south carolina my parents were professors uh, but we lived all over the place we lived in africa and europe and um but when we, were, when we were home we were um in south carolina and so i grew up you know I had a family lake house in Lake Santee. And so basically my brother and I were just outside. Like in the summer, we were just, we just lived outside, we, you know, caught fish. We foraged blackberries, we foraged wild plum. Like, so we basically just, my mom always had a garden. Um, she's, she's gotten much more serious. We almost, it's not competitive dynamic, but it's like, you know, as our garden advances, my mom's like, okay, well, I got to up my game in our garden. So we have like these kind of giant, like, uh, you know, all the family now has these kind of massive gardens and tons of food production. Um, so yeah, I kind of grew up a little bit that way, but I guess, uh, whatever kind of catalyst happened on whatever my wife and I got together and got her own property, um, sort of, and she, she her background is, she's a, um, studied biology at college of Charleston and was kind of a lab rat. And, uh, so I guess you could put her in the biologist category. Um, and yeah, you know, we just love, love, uh, I mean, we're, we're in an area of the country. I think you're in Georgia, right?
0: Yeah. I'm down in like uh, middle Georgia.
1: Okay. Um. So we're kind of up in the, right at the base of the uh, Appalachian Mountains in Greenville, South Carolina, or on the outskirts of Greenville. And so it's like an awesome area to, uh, if you're into outdoor living, it's like perfect because we have, you know, mountains, you can go up, you know, hiking everywhere. We have lakes, we have, you know, creeks and rivers, and there's this kind of stuff here so we're constantly outside. Um, and, uh, you know, it's awesome for mushroom foraging and plant foraging. It's awesome for, uh, or just general, even if you don't like that stuff, it's a good place to be. So
0: that's nice that's good yeah we lived in in augusta in like 2010 so i i think i've been up there a couple times actually for some some running stuff but um so you you uh you did the garden thing when um when did you start to i guess how much how much foraging did you do then like you were you mentioned blackberries as a kid um and i know you guys do mushrooms and stuff now um yeah, How did that filter in? Was that something that cause I feel like they almost like should run in tandem, right? If you like have a, a big garden, like you're more aware of what vegetables and what plants are out there, what fruit is out there that growing wild that's, you know, you can eat. But um, sometimes I, I guess that's not always the case. I'm just kind of curious how you guys fell into that.
1: Well yeah, should so also kind of warn that there's obviously plenty of plants and fungi that will that, that will kill you or make you sick or what you're gonna you know, say, so like don't go out in the forest and just eat a mushroom because you know, somebody listened to this podcast. That's a that's a really good way to to experience kidney failure. Um so we like to know how things work. Um, and I don't really think you can kind of understand uh, soil microbiology or forest ecosystems or any of this stuff or even agriculture unless you have sort of a basic understanding of you know, of fungi and what, what it does its role in the ecosystem mycorrhizal fungi and whatnot um and in the case of a lot of the forage mushrooms they're a lot of times they're super or even parasitic like chicken of the woods or so basically they, they, they serve, there's all these different types and they all serve these different roles. Some of them are decomposers, some of them are kind of hunter-scavenger almost as far as looking for stick or dying trees that they can then eat. Um, and then a lot of them are mycorrhizal, which are, you know, like chanterelles and things and morels, things like that. And they form, um, you know, symbiotic uh, relationships with trees and they kind of coat the tree roots. And then they, the fruiting body that you see is sort of almost like an apple on a tree. It's a very small part of the organism. Um, but we really got into it. Uh, so we started, I think you're probably familiar with TED and TED.com and that kind of stuff. Uh, we started um, TEDx Greenville, which is like the independent TED events back in 2010 um, with some other people here. And uh, one of the speakers that um, people nominated and who, who we've since become friends with is a guy named Chad Cotter, who's a mycologist out of Clemson. And he's got a thing called Mushroom Mountain, uh, he and his wife are awesome people uh in mushroom mountains basically this giant mushroom farm and you know so you can buy like spawn kits and all, they, they sell mushrooms I think like Whole Foods and places like that, but they also um want other people to kind of cultivate mushrooms as well. And they do foraging stuff and foraging classes. Um so his presentation kind of turned me on to it and then uh, or us onto it and then uh probably me with like Paul Stamets, who's like a yeah. you know, similar type of guy who's just like just this you know, massive amount of you know knowledge and kind of uh, things applications for mushrooms, everything from bioremediation to like you know crazy stuff like insect pest control and um and also also obviously like a high protein superfood. Um so uh I think twenty ten was yeah that was that was the year that Trad did his presentation uh for Zeticx Greenville and after kind of talking to him and watching this presentation, we're like, this is something we really need to get into. Um, so we started off, you know, with like the basics, like morels and oyster mushrooms and stuff like that, kind of things that are pretty hard to mistake. There's not a lot of poisonous lookalikes and whatnot. Right. Um, and kind of scaled up, I think there's probably like I don't know, never actually counted, but probably about 20, 20 different species of mushrooms that would forage throughout the year. And just like plants, mushrooms are seasonal. So there's certain things that come up in spring. There's certain things that come up in summer. There's certain things in fall and winter. So it's, you know, it's cool. Like in gardening or foraging, there's, um, you look at the world totally differently um, than you do if you don't do these things because you're so much more tapped in and connected to the cycles of, uh, of, the seasons. So it's, um, you know, you hear about seasonal eating, which, uh, you know, it, there, there's something to it. There's something, there's a beautiful kind of rhythm to it to, you get to life where it's like, you're always looking forward to, you know, next month, you know, balls are going to be right They're you know now lion's manes are going to be out and so you're always you know there's always something cool and new and and uh kind of coming along and there's just sort of this rhythm that you get to to life that comes about from that relationship that's really new
0: yeah no, it's it's uh definitely true you think about that with like the garden and and what food you're getting out of the garden and and what food you almost crave, right? Like in, in the fall, yeah. you know, you're looking forward to some of the the winter squash and, and that sort of stuff. And in the spring, you know, it's the lettuce and the it's uh it's curious how that how that works. Um, and I think too with the mushrooms, like that's that's one of the things and when you when you start foraging, you start paying attention to your, your surroundings and you start like knowing where things are and you know, being able to identify different types of trees and different types of habitats and, and stuff, you know, cause like you said, some of those mushrooms, they grow with certain types of trees, you know, and you start to figure out all that stuff and it does, it, it gives you a, a much deeper rooted connectedness, I think to, to everything around you, which for me, I think is, is a healthy way to go about things, but um,
1: yeah. So you do some foraging down there as well. Do you have, do you have some good
0: spots? When we lived up in Vermont, um, I did a lot down here. Um, I, I, don't find much other than a, a few like um, I don't know I forget the name right now the little yellow uh, slimy bullets um, uh, some sort of liver thing or something I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know like I, I can't remember the common name right now um,
1: you know Do you have the, red, the red and uh, the red the red caps with the yellow um,
0: no no it's like a slimy it's they I don't know um, I'll figure it out and then
1: oh which is is a witch's butter
0: maybe i don't know there's there's yeah there's- i don't know i can't, I can't okay. remember. We, you know there, and there's a few like there's oysters here and there and once in a while you'll find like a lion's mane or something but um when i was up in vermont it was just like nonstop, always stuff like popping up and and just i remember like i would i, I would run and i'd go on trail runs and stuff and in the spring and in the, the fall it was always tough because i'd always like stop and Want to look at these mushrooms, you know? Yeah, like big uh, backpack on with like uh, mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Well, I'd I'd like know where I was going. I'd be like, okay, well, I can come back tomorrow or later today with a bag and I, and I can grab all this stuff, you know. And um have you guys ever got got sick eating mushrooms?
1: No, absolutely not. No, there's no reason to ever, you know. I would say it's like driving a car. You have to kind of learn the rules, and then you, can, you know. But it's actually a lot safer than driving a car because you should absolutely. You'll, you'll still occasionally get in a wreck if you drive a car just because there's other people on the road that you can't control their behaviors. But with with mushrooms and stuff, there's absolutely no reason you should ever, ever eat something that you've, you know, if you don't know what it is, essentially don't eat it. You know, if you're not 100% confident of uh, what it is. And the other thing too is, you know, you, you, the first time you eat something, uh, you know, people have weird food allergies. So they don't like, you know, whether it's, I mean, people are allergic to, to chicken eggs, people are allergic to peanut but you know, so you never know. Thankfully we're not allergic to really anything that I know of as far as in the food category. So we don't have to be super vigilant about that, but a lot of people that are might really want to start. Um, I mean, there's even people that are allergic to like shiitake, which are a really common uh, mushroom that you can get in the grocery store, but it's a very small percentage of people. It's like 5% or something like that or even less. But bottom line is, you know, first time you eat something, don't go eat like two pounds of it. Um, Eat, you know, just eat a small amount, see how your body reacts to it. And then, then take a deep dive from there. Um, but no, we've never, no plant or, or mushroom or anything we've ever eaten in the wild has ever made us sick. Cause it's not, we just, cause we just don't take risks. It's not worth, uh, food is not worth dying for. We love food. And it's not that important.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's, I think it's, that's one of those curious things. Cause I think people, when you tell them that, right? Like that, okay. When you eat the mu- this mushroom for the first time, like just try a little bit and see how it affects your system. And people are kind of put off by that. But when you think about like, you can buy it five pound jar of peanut butter in the store. And like, that'll kill some people, you know, like it's, it really, we have this kind of skewed view of, well, I'm, I'm getting it in the store. It comes wrapped in plastic, so it, it's going to be okay. But you think about all the allergies that people have to, you know, conventional food. Um,
1: yeah. And well, there's also risk associated with every single thing that you do. Like, you know, so you think about it and kind of numerically there's on a percentage basis, yeah, peanut butter, you know, there's a there's a risk with that uh but yeah, you know, the food that you or i mean there's so many foodborne illnesses that you pick up from like you know there's all these remain recalls or what you know what lettuce whatever happens to be so um and then on the flip side of that if you go kind of with the completely sterile um, kind of highly processed foods yeah you're not going to get uh, a foodborne pathogen from that most likely but you're going to be extraordinarily unhealthy <laughs> So that that's a risk, you know. Uh, do you want to have uh, diabetes and heart disease and obesity and all this other stuff? So, um, you know, there, there's sort of you have to kind of look at the big picture of things and say, like, what what type of person do I want to be? Uh, do I want to be a healthy human being? Do I kind of identify that way? Um, and do I want to kind of be have an outdoor life and kind of be active? And So for us, this, this whole kind of thing that we're in makes a lot of sense for us, and we as a result of that, it's the knowledge. It's a much more knowledge intensive, uh, lifestyle, right? Like I don't, if I just go to the grocery store for all my food, I don't really have to know much about anything. I just go, and, you know, someone else has got that knowledge and that's, I'm kind of depending on that, which is perfectly fine. I'm not insulting that at all. I mean, if you live in New York city, it's not really, you know, many options. Um, but you know, for us, given where we live, given our interests, given the type of humans that we identify as, um, it makes a lot of sense for us to to do these things. And as a result requires our knowledge base to increase and requires us to kind of assess risk differently than most people would otherwise do. that are uh, consuming food. So.
0: Yep. No, yeah. I don't know. I I think as long as you pay attention and and aren't willy nilly picking things up and, and eating them, you're, you know, you're pretty safe. It's, uh, I don't know.
1: We also cook, cook the mushrooms too. And Paul Samus talks about that. So like uh, you get a lot more nutrition from them and also kind of poten- any potential pathogens and a lot of the, 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 the compound, the protective compounds in certain mushrooms that might, you know, give you a little bit of uh, GI distress or something like that. Cause mushrooms don't necessarily want to be eaten their function. They're just trying to reproduce. So it's not like they're here to uh, feed humans. Um, and they have compounds that try to just like anything else does that, you know. Uh, might might cause you some some distress at, for certain species, but when you cook them, you break down the cell walls. You do all this you know, those compounds, those molecular compounds are kind of broken apart and whatnot um, and unlocked. And so it's it's a much much safer. And then you know, let's say that. So bottom line, don't eat raw mushrooms. Um, is another is another tip that people say yeah. if you, just, you know In certain things, you can't eat like morel. If you eat it raw, it's going to make you sick. Um, and but it's a perfectly it's a, one of the most common, like, you know, sought after gourmet mushrooms out there. You can get buying from Whole Foods for like $50, $60 a pound. Um, you wouldn't just pick it up and eat it raw in Whole Foods and you'd be cooked. Um, so anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear Things you.
1: got to learn if you want to do this stuff, but it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it's people might from the outset kind of view it as like, you know, that's too much to learn. I don't feel like doing that. Um, I think it's like anything else where it's just like, you know, as you kind of every year you learn something new um, and then or every month, every week, whatever happens to be. Um, And so over time, I mean, that that knowledge that it's kind of compounds. And so after like five years, you you look up and you're like, actually know a decent amount about stuff. And the the point, the key, ideally you get to a point where you know enough that you realize you don't know anything. And then you kind of, that's when you know, you're starting to get somewhere. So.
0: Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's a, you can't, learn it all in one season it takes a few years to kind of figure things out but it's it's little steps you know it's learning like some of them are, are very recognizable you know learning like a, a lion's mane or something or or what yeah. mouline looks like like that's you know and then if you want to get into you know some of your mushrooms it might have something that it looks a little more akin to it you know um but i don't know so uh, i'm kind of curious you guys so you you're are you on about a half acre? That's how big your, your growing space is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of have, um, are you familiar with like a food forest or forest gardening that, that concept from Congress?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, is that, is that kind of what you guys have set up?
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, I guess it's been popularized that the, the word food forest or forest gardening has been kind of popularized in permaculture circles. Um, and we, we like permaculture. I think it's a great, a great philosophy. Um, but it's it obviously predates the term permaculture by about 10,000 years or more. Um so it's basically just setting up perennial ecosystems that are kind of heavily food producing. So um, you know, like a, a perennial is pretty low maintenance. That could be anything from like asparagus at sort of the ground level to and mushrooms. We you know, do, we actually do a lot of cultivated mushrooms as well. Um then all the way up to kind of the the canopy or overstory layer, which is things like you know, hickory nuts or pawpaws or um Chay chay fruit, which is like a it looks like a raspberry it grows on a tree, but it tastes like a watermelon. Um, to mulberries to peaches, to you know, so there's all this different stuff you can grow uh in a perennial ecosystem. Um so we have, yeah, that's kind of what our yard is. It is also um I mean we live in a somewhat regular neighborhood, it's sort of on the outskirts of Greenville. So we do have to pay attention to aesthetics. And so our front yard is kind of edibly landscaped. It looks just like a big flower garden, but like there's probably I don't know. I think we grow in our yard maybe something throughout the year, maybe like 260, 300 different edible species of plants. Um, so it's you know it's really densely planted um, with all kinds of weird stuff. So our neighbors are constantly uh, you know well when when we're not on uh, restrictions as far as how close we can get to one another, um, you know the kids the kids are always ever looking at ducks and you know asking if they can eat some strawberries from the yard or you know whatever happens to be and you know, so people are. curious about this and that what the other thing what is it and you know we we'll make something like a you know elderflower cordial which tastes awesome and share it with neighbors and whatnot and our offer it's nice to our neighbors down the street like so we can see from our front yard they're really into beekeeping um so i think they have like five hives in their yard so you know he started scratching his head and it's like huh oh maybe uh maybe these guys want to to have some beehives, they now have beehives in our in our backyard and kind of near the forest line. And um, apparently, that beehive is doing, you know, it's just one hive. So, but we're, we're kind of, uh, we feel good about it. He so says it's the healthiest hive. So, we're, we're stoked about that one. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So, we offer with the flowers, you know, the flowers are a crop in the sense that there's a lot of edible flowers, but also the bees are out there constantly foraging on the flowers. And so they get honey out of it. So, it's nice.
0: Yeah. So, what do you guys? grow then in your i guess in the in the back part of things or how how do you have it set up um so there's a little you know there's when you start getting into the the permaculture side of things there's kind of a you know it's not just put things wherever there's there's a method to it um so what is what does that kind of look like uh, for you guys
1: yeah. So we have, um we have sort of designated annual plant beds, you know, things for like the stuff like the tomatoes and the peppers and the stuff that's kind of in and out really quick uh, or lettuces and kales and things like that. So we have those those are sort of designated spots So we're kind of uh, constantly swapping stuff out. Um, but then kind of mixed, mixed in or between those areas, we have more of the perennial beds. Um, and so like, I guess the back of our property is more like, pawpaws and back's kind of near a forest and there's nothing back there other than we go out there in mushroom forest but we don't it's not ours and it kind of goes down to a creek and all this different stuff but um back there we have mostly kind of pawpaws uh elderberries blackberries raspberries um the big chay tree i'm trying to think what else is back there um service berries uh chestnuts i'm kind of looking out the window right now to try to. (laughs) (laughs) what else back there um figs, peaches, pomegranates uh I'll, another one of my favorite greens is um stinging nettles, it has some really nice stinging nettle patches um and they cultivating sting n- yeah man that is one of the best greens I I, I I don't know how many pounds of stinging nettles we've eaten this year stinging nettle pesto and stinging nettle soup and sting, yeah, you can think of stinging nettle um but it's yeah it's that's also perennial, so you just plant that stuff and it can sort of take over, uh you know, sort of like mint and it crawls everywhere. But um you can also kind of keep it contained. But it's uh I think it's like maybe the highest protein uh veggie on the planet as far as just like kind of program um uh you know based on dry weight. So it's a uh, and it's super nutrient dense and that so just makes you feel awesome to eat it. Um we have we have a bunch of that. Um let's see what else is back there. Uh, uh plum trees. And we also have a couple of annual beds back there, and some asparagus is encroaching into. Um, and then our front yard is again a lot of a ton of flowers. Um, and then also we, we do have perennials mixed in there. We have um, some one of my favorites is uh, we have dwarfy persimmons, and so we get like loads of giant persimmons in the fall off those, and they're really pretty little landscape trees because they sort of have this bonsai structure to them. Um, obviously, being in the southeast, tons of blueberries, high bush blueberries. Um, I think in Vermont you guys have mostly blueberries. Yeah,
0: lots of blueberries. The, short, so, the little short guys there, like the low, I think the uh, red yeah. It depends on on who's. I mean, most of them are. are you know, you, you can have smaller. There are some smaller ones. That what place we used to go to pick them would have. You know, they would be as tall as I was. Some of them. Um, yeah, okay. those are high bush. Cool. But I mean, it was. I think cause it. I I can't remember it. High bush come down. They grow better down here than the the regular low bush ones, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are the wild, there's some wild ones that are like, you know, yay big around here that have like really small little berries on them. But I remember when I was a kid, we went up to Canada, um, like Nova Scotia and there was outside the hotel room. There's this like kind of wild field. And my brother and I of course went out there because like, oh, kind of, we, we'd never seen a really small blueberry place before, but there was this field of, of blueberry bushes and the, the things were like literally like that big, but they had these nice big blueberries on them. They were absolutely delicious. And so we just spent like
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those, those, if you're out in the woods or whatever, that's what you'll find. Um, but in terms of, of cultivated berries, that's, um, how how long did it take you guys to, to get all that together, to get all those trees and stuff? Was it something you did over time? Was it something you just one year threw a bunch of money in the ground back there? And, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. A little bit of both. Um, I think about maybe eight years ago, we, we kind of put in a big effort to plant a bunch of perennials and, but it's constantly shifting. So like, you know, like one year for instance uh maybe three years ago we're like this isn't a great spot for one of the elderberries because was this giant tree and it was kind of growing into a blueberry patch we didn't want it so we you know took that out so none of this stuff is really permanent like you can shift plants around yeah. you can you know dig things up move them you can take them out whatever it happens to be so it's it's always a work in progress um and but yeah, you know, so obviously like some of the stuff i, I don't really want to mess like a a, a blueberry bush if it's performing well and whatnot, I'm not going to leave that sucker alone. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it shifts from year to year. Um, so it's always a kind of a, a process of, especially when you're considering aesthetics in the neighborhood, you have to kind of do cognizant today that might not look so good. Either.
0: Do you, do you have, um, have you run into any, any issues with that sort of stuff? Neighborhood yeah, like anyway, type stuff? Like neighbors or whatever. Yeah.
1: Um, no, actually, Nobody, I mean, everybody kind of uh, that we've talked to, at least, you know, who knows what they say about it, <laughs> um, uh, likes it. You know, kids Kids love it. Kids are out constantly coming around. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it's definitely a different type of yard than our neighbors have. And, and our beekeeping neighbors absolutely love it because they're like really into, they don't know how to grow food other than honey, but they appreciate the fact that we're not using any synthetic uh, chemicals whether it's fertilizers or pesticides, they kind of understand the, the ecological effects of that stuff. Um, but no, we have in the H- we, we have an HOA, but it's as long as you're paying your dues, nobody really cares. Um, just make sure to pay your dues and everybody's good for it. And it was funny, I think there was actually, when we first moved in, there was like a no chicken rule um, in the HOA. Uh, and like somebody I think even had to like, years before we moved in, had to get rid of their chickens. But we have ducks. We're
0: you
1: know, yeah, yeah. Okay, started that rule. Yeah.
0: Well done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how do ducks fit in? Do you? How many ducks do you guys have?
1: Uh, I think we have. Uh, let's see here, five. So we, we have six right now. We have five hens and a and a drake. So, um, in the drake, the drake, we kind of keep them They run around the whole backyard all day. And we have a fenced-in backyard, so like predators can't get them. They can't get out. We have a a, coop, a couple coops. We put them into at night. Um and then at night we let them out um, when we're outside so they get to forage the front yard and add a little bit of fertilizer here and there. Yeah.
0: With, uh, what kind of what, what kind of ducks are they?
1: Uh they're Welsh Harlequin. They're a breed, a heritage breed from um well, Wales is why they're called Welsh. <coughs> and um they're bred from uh khaki camels. and uh I should know this. There's another Another breed, um, but they're bred by a, a British Army captain who's kind of a eclectic, wild, wild, funny guy, um, kind yeah. of genius. Who um, so he had something like I want to say like fifteen hundred ducks on his estate or something like that. But he, he bred these things, and uh, like you know, they're really beautiful animals. They're kind of uh, light, kind of white feathers with some speckling on them, and has really beautiful uh, blue wing bars. Um, so they're kind of visually stunning when you has pictures of them. People are always commenting about how pretty they are. Um, and then the drakes, which are the males, look pretty similar to a wild mallard. They have, depending on their on the season, because they also uh, have different kind of phases of plumage they get through throughout the year. But they have a lot of times they'll have the greenhead, the kind of classic mallard greenhead. with a little white stripe and then the kind of uh, decorative bodies. Because the males, a lot of times in with, with ducks and other uh, wild critters, the males, the ones have to look pretty for the females. So they have the, the nice colorations on them
0: yeah yeah, right. I hear you. so um do you guys just raise them for for eggs and uh i don't know help in the garden
1: yeah um they're highly entertaining so there's definitely an entertainment factor to it. but that's that's sort of a tangential i guess uh function um yeah but, so we get a lot of duck eggs are awesome i don't know if you ever had them but they're they're bigger than chicken eggs uh i think like the average duck egg is like 2.5 ounces which would be like a you know Whatever, like a jump. It's like the largest chicken egg you'd find. Um, they're more nutritious as far as the kind of nutrient dense, uh, various vitamins, and minerals, and whatnot, are higher con- concentrations. And they also, um, in my opinion, they just taste better. Um, I, I like chicken eggs. I mean, I don't mind them at all. But they sort of have a, chicken eggs are, sort of have a sulfury um, flavor, and duck eggs are more kind of a creamy flavor. And um, they also have a higher yolk to white ratio. So um, if you have, you know, like we have friends that are in gourmet shops and whatnot, and they're, they, they invariably, um, prefer duck eggs to chicken eggs, um, whether it's in baking or desserts or any of that stuff It just makes a, a richer, creamier, kind of more flavorful end product, whatever it is you're making. Um, so yeah. Nice to have
0: a- we've, we've thought about it a few times. Um, my issue always is kind of boils down to the water, um, you know and and I know we and we have a we have two ducks somebody gave us two ducks they were supposed to go in the the pot and um my kids kind of got stuck to them so now we have two drakes that um just kind of don't do anything but um the pool is the issue right cuz i'm always like dumping it out it stinks they don't you know they 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 just smell like there's a smell when you go over by the the duck area um, so what, what am I, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? How do I, how do I fall in love with ducks?
1: So two things. Um, and this is actually a funny thing about, you know, our, our blog that we were talking about is one of our most popular articles is um how to build your own backyard self-cleaning duck pond. Um, so you can just Google that uh, if you're curious. And um, so we had you know same thing where we had the duck pond, the little, you know, the what are they, plastic, plastic pool, mm-hmm. kind of flavor, and then this next it was making a mess. and It's so like, you know, what the hell? We got to do something better than this. Um, and so we spent a lot of time kind of reading and doing research. Because we also didn't want to have a like a chemical pool where our ducks are swimming and chlorine and whatnot. Um, and so uh, we basically built a 1,200-gallon in-ground pool using it. It's called a Skippy biofilter system. It was basically it was used filter material um, and then plus natural uh, pond bacteria um that you inoculate the filters with and then the, the bacteria um basically uh the, the filters filter out the solids the bacteria breaks down the solids it eats it um and then you're and then it kind of goes down the water goes back down a waterfall and so it aerates the pond and so we don't do anything um it smells perfectly fine back there the water's uh clean um I, mean, I wouldn't go back there and drink the pond water um but it's it's um you know probably is cleaner, cleaner than the, you know, the kind of the wild spring fed creek behind our house. And uh, as far as the ground goes, a lot of times, you know, ducks will make kind of a muddy mess of things because they're ducks. Um, Mm -hmm. We we use mulches and, you know, uh, pine shavings and whatnot. So basically keeping the ground where it's, it's got, uh, you know, wood chips and things on it like that really reduces that. So actually our backyard, even though it has ducks in it all day, has zero smell and the pond is not something we ever mess with. So, it's all different
0: Good, dude. I, I have to look at that. I'll put a, a link to that in the, the show notes as well, alongside everything else. But um, so, you w- do you run into any problems with with ducks in your garden beds? Um, I know like, I have chickens, and when they get out, uh, they just they destroy things. You know, they they scratch it and they're eating all the the brassicas and stuff, and eating ripe tomatoes and zucchini and everything. They just destroy it. The whole garden. Um, <laughs> Do do ducks do that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, if you let them. yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, they're 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 really good foragers. Um so we in our annual beds, as I mentioned, we have fence, fencing around them. So even when we let the ducks out, they can't kind of get into those spots. Yeah, so we let them if we let them into our lettuce and kale and chicory patches and whatnot, that would be uh they'll go after all that. Yeah, what wasn't eaten would look like it was you know hit by a tornado. Um and so yeah, the ducks can't go in there, but you know, as far as like the, the perennial plants. Um, I mean, actually, our our biggest almost like too big peach tree in our, is in our backyard. It's 100 percent duck fertilized, um, and that sucker is like, I mean, duck can't do anything to that. So it's, uh, and they're also, you know, they're they're, they're not flighted birds, so they, they can't they can't fly. So like even if they could, I don't think they could be like fly up and grab a peach and bring it back down to the ground. Um, but you know, so they can't they can't do anything to this point. of you know, blueberries, all that stuff, you know, persimmons. We, we have a bunch. So the backyard is largely uh, that they spend all day in is largely kind of perennial fruit trees um, or, or cane berries like blackberries and raspberries. And so all, all they're doing is foraging around that stuff and frankly, probably eating a lot of pest insects that would otherwise were slugs or snails or uh, ticks or you know all this different stuff that the ducks eat. Um, and so all they're doing in that situation is adding fertility to the soil. Um, which, rather than kind of washing through the soil system and going into our creek, has been kind of you know eaten by the consumed by the plants, which then drop leaves back on the ground, and which then refertilize. So basically, this kind of constantly cycling nutrients, and then we get fruit out of the whole process, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good system. It's a good system. Yeah. So um, all right, I don't I don't want to keep you too long. Um, any any words of advice for for people out there? thinking about um getting started in, in sort of a more permaculture sort of way in a, in a more perennial um you know not necessarily you know till it up and and plant it every you know season um somebody that's looking for something a little more more permanent where do where they get started or yeah.
1: um yeah there's, there's a few different it's kind of funny we got interviewed by usa today like last week about this very thing and it It's very hard to give blanket advice to everyone everywhere about how to start something. Um, And I, and, but I mean, it's still important to try to distill that down in a a way that's digestible for people. So they're like, you know, but a few things start small. um, Being like, don't, don't try to plant an acre of land at once if you've never done anything like that before. Um, It's a very good way to get overwhelmed and kind of give up and have not very good success. Um, and that could be, you know, depending on what your living situation is. If you're living in an apartment, that could be a couple you know, pots in your window or on your balcony, whatever happens to be. Um, start fast. So, sort of the agile development and software terms is basically, you know, you're you're constantly doing little things uh, on a daily basis, even, and then you're getting instant feedback from from that. Or instant in terms of plants might be a couple months, but you're and then you're learning, and you're not expecting, you know. Uh, you're not, you're not basically doing something that you're not going to see the result from. And, and for one or two or three or five years, you're kind of moving um, quickly and um, in, in small fashions in order to kind of get, um, to get experience, to get kind of feedback, to learn, Oh, I did that wrong or I could do that better. or This didn't quite work out. Why did that happen? Um, and then, you know, there's things, you know, permaculture, uh, no-till organic gardening, um, uh, agroecology. There's lots, lots of names for these different kind of, broad fields there's sort of there's a lot of overlap between them um or in square foot gardening if you have you know not much land and you want to really grow a lot of food on that land is a good area to look at that just kind of helps you understand the kind of the dimensionality for space where if you're growing everything on a flat surface then that's going to yield only x amount of food but if you start putting in sort of you know trellises and and other things and you can start to kind of really ramp up the ramp up the production on your spot um but bottom line is like you know it's like anything else that you've ever been become good at in life like you didn't start that way you sucked at it at first um and then you just kind of kept going and um, became interested in it and learned more you know year by year by year month by month by month and then you look back and you're like damn I'm pretty good at this uh and then yeah that's how it happened but you know obviously never, nobody starts that way like I'm, I don't yeah, so that, that that's 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 something is just to kind of get start small, start fast. Um, don't worry about like you're gonna you're gonna kill plants. I mean, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> one of our one of our really good friends, who's like an awesome probably you know one of the better gardeners and more knowledgeable people we've ever encountered, uh, has a funny saying that you you don't know a plant until you killed it like I think seven times. Or something. So yeah, I mean you're gonna kill a lot of plants. Don't worry about it. And and unfortunately, you know, we hope that doesn't apply to uh to ducks and chickens and whatnot because you know it's a little, little different situation with sentient animals, you probably want to be a little bit more careful about your uh taking on that responsibility. But with plants, you you cannot feel as bad if uh your mishap lead to their demise.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's that's an important thing to to remember, you know, when you when you look on YouTube, when you look in magazines or wherever, like you see these these setups that have who knows how long, how many years they've taken to, to get to that point. And they're just so well manicured. And when you start, that's, that's not what it's going to be. That's not how it's going to happen. Um, you know, everybody has setbacks and then it doesn't matter how long you've been doing things. You, you still end up killing something here and there. Um, you know, and it's and that's okay. It's all part of the process. And in the end, you're further ahead than you were when you started. So,
1: yeah, you got some. Um, I mean, that's that's the awesome like the, it literally is the fruits of your labor. So it's kind of cool to to um, be able to eat, you know, what you've what you've kind of planned and thought through and you know grown. And it's it's a, such a rewarding experience to you know put that stuff on your table. <clears throat>
0: yeah. it re- really, really, truly is. Um, but all right, man, if uh, if people where, where can they go to find you? Um, where's your,
1: we have two two websites. Uh, I guess our personal blog is, um, tyrantfarms.com <clears throat> and our, uh, our, our other what, website, which is kind of in transition right now is growjourney.com. So they're very similar as far as the, the, the nature and the educational resources on them. But I guess, uh, either one of those is, is perfectly fine. All
0: right. Now with, with growjourney.com, you mentioned that you're trying to transition that to more of a, educational program or something? what, what yes, is-
1: Apparently it's a, um, it's a USA certified organic uh, seed companies. It's, it was a subscription service. It still is a subscription service. Um, but we really just want to go kind of product free and just go purely kind of service based as far as the business model um, and the service being just educational resources and good content from. Um, so we kind of have a handful of uh, really knowledgeable uh, I guess food growers that we're working with to, um, and work wrong to, to, write and create content for that, for that website to kind of help people learn how to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, that, we're, that we've been talking about here today.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right, man. Well, I will uh, let you get going back to your, your, your life there. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot. Good to meet you.
0: Yeah, you too. again, all by my lonesome. So that was, that was Aaron. He's a, a good dude. We had a fun, fun conversation. Um, hope you guys didn't mind the, the length a little bit longer than, than normal, but, um, I, I found it entertaining and I hope you did too. So, so thanks for Aaron for, uh, showing up and, uh, you guys go check out the show notes, go click on all those links, go follow up on that. Uh, he's got lots of good information there so guys at the top of the show thank you for checking this podcast out thank you for sticking with it uh go leave a review or whatever and uh yeah let me know let me know what you think let me know what you think homesteads and homeschools at com. find me over there or on twitter at hs and hs pod other than that i'll let you go and uh i may may throw out some sort of update this week and uh be, before i go um i kind of i couldn't remember the name of that yellow mushroom during the show it is the uh American slippery jack. It's a yellow. You know, some call it uh, chicken fat sueless. I, I don't know how you say that last word, but I believe it's something like that. But that's that's what it is. It's a it's a slippery jack. Um, so there it is. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, I thank you again, and uh, just remind you to get out there, sow those seeds, of liberty. And we can all reap sheaves of freedom I'm gonna ride together.